We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Thank you, Kendall. Let's take a look here at Mark chapter 12, the text that Charles read to you. These uh, Passion Week questions that Christ is dealing with, by whose authority do you do these things? In the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? Shall we render, shall we pay the poll tax or not? Render unto Caesar. What's the greatest commandment? We're going to see that in a couple of weeks. These questions are, are repeated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they're seismic. They're not just little questions. They're massive questions about Christian conduct and about the, the world that is coming upon Christianity. They are tectonic. They are massive. They are phantasmagorical. You know who said that? Y'all remember Daffy Duck? Daffy said it. These are great questions. And this one here, shall we pay the tax or not, is on the issue of the relation of church and state. Is that ever a problem? In a sense, all of civilization is nothing but the tug of war between the religious and the political, between what we believe and how we live that out, between the priests and the politicians and the generals. All of history uh, is upper story, lower story. Is that new to you? Upper story is what you can't touch, but what you, what you believe. It's what you think about God, man, right, wrong, uh, how you approach him. Those are things that are upper story issues. Lower story is politics, military, education, economy, science. They're how you live out what you believe, but you can't separate those two things. Uh, that's why Culture, the root word of culture is the word cult, which is a word for religious rules. You can't have culture without religious rules that define what you are. That's why the most important verse in your Bible is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Time, space, mass. It's from God. Man in God's image. Evil is a very real thing against God. Salvation is the seed of woman that will crush the serpent's head. The flood, will God judge evil? Oh, yes. Where do the nations come from? Tower of Babel. And your first 11 chapters of the Bible, all the great upper story issues are settled right there. Uh, civilization, what's the root word of civilization? <laughs> Civility. You can't have peace and harmony among humans unless you have. You can't have civilization without civility. And so your Ten Commandments are your first four are about God. And then your five through nine are about uh, people. First you deal with the upper story, then you deal with people. And your last one is about life. You seek God, not things. You don't covet. Isn't that interesting? And so... What we're looking at here is uh, how the church and the state relate. In Israel, you had the 
theological issues were held by the Levitical priesthood. And that was their job. They did not, they were not necessarily farmers. They were not military men. They were uh, theologians that held true to the law of God. And then the uh, state was ruled by the King David and his, uh, those that came after him. And so you had Judah and Levi, church, state, religion, politics, economy, military. Uh, what happens when Uzziah, you remember that story, tries to go into the temple of God without a priest? He struck a leper. You don't cross that line as a politician. You don't try to change who God is. How about if David thinks he's so great that he can take Uriah's wife and then kill Uriah? He's in trouble. God calls him to account. How about Solomon who takes uh, other gods from his other wives? He is called to account. And so the politicians never ever can violate the priesthood. The priesthood, uh, their job is, to, is uh, not to try to become leaders. You never put a crown on a priest. That's held, but you have to separate those two. It's a separation of powers because one human can't handle being priest and king. Actually, one human can. Who's the only human that you can let be a priest and be a king? Sounds like Jesus. <laughs> Starts with a J. Jesus, Zechariah chapter 3 says he is a priest on his throne. The only guy you can say that about. And the council of peace will be between his offices. Uh, the problem with Israel is that the priesthood dropped the ball and then the, uh, the kings departed. And so you had that breakdown. Uh, a priest and king came, he was crucified. He is alive in this new body called the church. And that's why we are a people that have our theology sound through Christ and we have our civil conduct ordained through Christ. We are to be the best of people, amen? Because philosophically, we've got it together. We know what is right and we know how to live. So hypothetically, in a church parking lot, you can leave your keys on the dash. Don't do it. Not everyone's converted around here. And so someday we will have a priest on his throne. And so this text is the acorn of what is about to come. I'll show you that. What we have here in verse 13 is a very odd union. They sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him to trap him in a statement. The Pharisees held that you're to separate yourself. That's what the word Pharisee means, to separate. You separate yourself from, Israel, from the world and from sin. It was an intertestamental organization, the Pharisees, that as Israel was dominated by the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Pharisees came about to preserve culture to preserve the law of God. They invented what is called uh, the synagogue to where our nation that is surrounded by these people can hold on to uh, our heritage. Those were the Pharisees. They were good guys in the beginning. And the Herodians 
they are guys that are loyal to Herod, the prefect of Rome. And so Herodians were more went along with the flow of the Gentile, the Pharisees withdrew. And so these are uh, Republicans and Democrats coming together, if you can just try to imagine it, just a moment, okay? And that's what they're doing. And they came together to trap Christ, meaning to lure him into an argument that he could not get out of, or it becomes a Chinese finger trap. Y'all remember those? And the harder you pull, the tighter it becomes. And so they're going to ask him a question that either answer will insult Pharisees or it will insult Herodians. And so they come to, to trap him in a statement. Make a note. Never try to argue against a guy that part of his makeup is that of infinity. <laughs> You're going to find yourself in a problem. And so they're going to try to out-navigate Jesus. And so in verse 14, teacher, we know that you're truthful, defer to no one. You're not partial to any. You teach the way of God in truth. They're pumping him up. They're drawing him in. And so tell us, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? How far should a Jew's obedience go to the powers that be that govern us? Um, this is not the temple tax that all Jews had to pay to the temple. This is a poll tax that you paid to Rome. The Zondervan Study Bible says, Jews in Judea were required to pay tribute money to the emperor. The tax was highly unpopular, and some Jews flatly refused to pay it, believing that payment was an admission of the Roman right to rule them. And so Pharisees and Herodians separated on this. And so they're asking him a very well-known question. Should we pay this, bring peace to our people of the relationship between the religious and the political, the church and the state? What's your answer? Well, in verse 15, shall we pay or shall we not pay? You give us the answer. It's been a question with us since Babylon. Uh, Y'all remember whenever uh, Nebuchadnezzar imposed himself upon Israel? And if you read the book of Jeremiah, there was a group of guerrilla fighters within Israel headed up by a guy named Ishmael. And uh, Jeremiah said, submit to the powers that be. They have now, God has given them dominion. And these other guys rebelled against that and killed all the Jews loyal to, to uh, Babylon. So this was a problem from the get-go with people. And so should we pay or should we not? Well, Jesus said, why are you testing me? He knew their hypocrisy. You don't want to know an answer. Why are you testing me? Meaning you know the answer. He says, bring me a denarius to look at. It's obvious. Who is in charge? Give me a coin. In verse 16, they brought one and he said, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Verse 17, then render to Caesar the things that are his. A tax. This is the power that be over you. And so honor it. But then he turns the tables. That's why you don't want to ever argue with God. He turns the tables. And you render to God things that are God's. 
What is it about you and I that bears the image and the likeness of God? It's our souls. You give to Caesar your tax. You give your heart and soul to God. Deuteronomy 6. The Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You give him. That was the problem of Israel. Their problem wasn't Caesar. Their problem was God. They had denied God his due. Malachi 1, you're robbing God. Well, let me try to help you with something right here. Uh, whenever Israel was invaded by a pagan power, book of Judges, book of Kings, they are always to fight. They were never imperialistic. They never went outside to conquer. But if someone came after them, they could stand for their country. They had a standing army. And so they were not allowed the pagan to take over. They were to resist pagan ideas, north, south, east, west, to resist them. Uh, until they fell into great sin in the time of the kings. And God had to give the northern kingdom into the hands of the Assyrians and the southern kingdom in 586 B.C. into the hands of the Babylonians. Uh, sometimes God can simply pull back his hand of restraint and let evil have its way. Can he ever do that with a country? Yeah. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He simply removes his barrier and lets it go. Well, that idea of fighting for your country had a great shift in the days of Jeremiah. That the Babylonians were coming in and God said, if you continue in sin, I'm going to give you over to these people. And you will, and I quote, learn the difference between the service of the nations and the service of God. I will let you experience it. Remember the prodigal son? Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Father, I get the money whenever you die. I wish you were dead. Give me my freedom. This was the world's first sophomore. Okay. Give me my freedom. You remember what the father did to teach him? He gave it to him. And he found himself envying pigs. And he came home. Sometimes that's the best way to judge a nation is to let it have its way. And so God did this in the days of the prophet that spoke to Israel when the Babylonians were set up outside the city and the walls were about to come down. That prophet said, God has set before you the way of life and the way of death. You need to submit to the Babylonians and give it up and take your whooping. And God is merciful. That whooping isn't going to last, but Jeremiah 25, 11, it's going to last 70 years. Because in 70 years, you kill off all the old guys that got you into this trouble, and you take a nation of orphans and take them back in. Okay? So just kill the old guys. Write that down. That's the best way to do. We'll just start all over, and I'll be father to the nation. Incidentally, you remember in the wilderness journey, they fell into idolatry. 
Did God strike the whole nation? Everybody over the age of 20. If you're a junior and above, you're going to die. And I will now take the rest of the nation, and I will be the father, and I'll take you in. And so that's how God works. And so I want to show you something. Go in your Old Testament to Jeremiah 25 and verse 11. No, don't do that. Go to Jeremiah. Uh, let me see. Hang on here. I've got it. 29, verse 7. And Jeremiah 29, verse 7. You notice the preceding context? Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Who takes credit for the exile? God does. What's his instrument? Babylon. But God says, I did it. You need a real good whooping. You need to envy the pigs. And so you're going to exile. And verse 5, when you're there, don't resist them. Don't have guerrilla warfare. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives, be the fathers of sons, daughters, and wives for your sons. Give them to your daughters, to the husbands, and they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply, don't decrease and in verse 7, what should your attitude be to these pagans that have now taken you over? Seek the welfare of the city, or literally the peace of the city where I have sent you into exile. Now make a note, that is a, um, a continental divide in your Old Testament. We've never seen that, but now we see it. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. In its peace, you will have peace. So you learn to get along and you pray for them and you impact that culture. And he's going to tell you a, a chapter earlier, you're not going to be there but 70 years. And then you're going to come out and hopefully I will have purified this stuff. Incidentally, before the Babylonian captivity, you see nothing but idolatry in Israel. After the Babylonian captivity, do you know what you uh, never see again? Idolatry. God gave them an emetic. You ever have to take an emetic? Makes you throw up. You yak like a monkey in the Fort Worth Zoo. All right. <laughs> and sometimes God has to give you an emetic. I'm going to make you throw up. And you are never going to touch this stuff again. And they didn't because they got whooped. Uh, and so seek its welfare. Well, this began a period in Israel's history that was called the times of the Gentiles. Jesus said that Israel would be trampled underfoot until, and he coined a term, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And what they are, they are the times that God gave Israel over to the pagan surroundings and told them, don't rebel. As a matter of fact, some of the greatest Jewish heroes are during the times of the Gentiles. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Zerubbabel, Joshua the high priest, uh, Esther, Mordecai, Nehemiah, your great heroes. As a matter of fact, 
Prior to the Babylonian captivity, most of your Old Testament is about great villains. After the Babylonian captivity, it's about great heroes that have to stand in the, in the, literally in the fiery furnace where God says, I'll be with you and the fire will not harm you. And so uh, this begins the times of the Gentiles. It's going to last for a little while and then Babylon's going to be taken over by another Gentile power that the book of Ezra and Esther is written about. Who's the power? Persia. The Persians take over. And then the Persians fall to the Greeks. And now we're in the intertestamental period. And the Greeks take over. And Israel submits to the Greeks as far as they can until the Greeks try to make them give up their Bibles and cease to be Jews. You all ever heard of the Maccabean revolt? It's prophesied in the book of Zechariah. And so the Jews have to stand at that point. And then Rome takes over. Pontius Pilate, the Roman leader, says to Jesus, don't you know I have the power to release you and I have the power to kill you? What did Christ say? You have no power unless my Father in heaven has given it to you. Jesus understood the times of the Gentiles. And so that period has continued on and it's still there today. Israel has never ever been sovereign in their own land. As a matter of fact, the temple mount where their temple was, you now have the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim place of worship. And there is a Arabic term around the rim of the Dome of the Rock. You know what it says? God is no father. He has no son. That's the statement that reads to all the Jews in Arabic. And so the times of the Gentiles has still gone on from 586 through the coming of Christ. And now we're in another period called the fullness of the Gentiles where Israel's been set aside and God's gathering to himself the church. And so Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and Israel is told to submit to the powers that be. Now the interesting thing is you and I and the church are given the same command. Romans 13. Let every person be in submission to the governing authorities as those sent by God. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good and you'll have praise from the same. And then he says, for this reason you pay taxes. Because rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. He says, your tax dollar is like a tithe given to the government to uh, reduce evil. Now, we're in a period now that is called the times of the Gentiles. And so, our world is being ruled by non-Jews. Russia. France, Germany, America, all of them were being ruled by non-Jews. Uh, hopefully, we are influenced by the Judeo-Christian idea. But even Israel itself was not a nation again until 1948. So we're in the times of the Gentiles. And that is what uh, Jesus is speaking of. Whose inscription is this? Caesar's. Then do what he says. Jeremiah uh, 29, verse 7. Are you with me? Well, I think and others think, now this is key to understanding this, that this 
period of the times of the Gentiles was providentially prepared by God with us in mind. The times of the Gentiles formed a shell. When Israel decayed within that, somebody took over. Now, let me tell you about it. In the times of the Gentiles, it was marked by three things. The domination of the people of God by pagans. Secondly, that the Jews had to come together. They didn't have a temple. It got destroyed. They didn't have a capital. It got destroyed. And so the Jews, wherever they were, had to come together in a common place of worship. To pronounce that in the language of the day would be called a sin, S-Y-N, a gog, a synagogue. All the Jews would gather at wherever they were in Babylon, in Persia, in North Africa, in Russia, in Miami, in Brooklyn, and they had synagogues. And it was said that the synagogue was invented by Ezra. Why was the synagogue invented? To keep in a pagan day the biblical culture alive. It was like a, a coal in the dark, always there. And so you had the domination by the pagan, you had the synagogue, and you had the command of submit to the government, be the best of citizens. Uh, that was the third thing. Question, is the church and has the church for the great majority of its existence had to coexist with pagan rulers? Yes or no? Yes, we've had to exist with pagan rulers, just like Israel did from the times of the Gentiles. They had a synagogue where they could all leave the pagans and go within a building and sing their songs, hear their Bible extolled. They had what were called elders and deacons. Uh, they did national discipline toward evil. They cared for each other. They cared for the widows. Does that sound familiar to you? What's that sound like? The church, the local church. The local church is the synagogue taken over by the enlightened. And they had a command. Pray for these people. In their welfare, you will have welfare. When the Apostle Paul wrote the first pastoral epistle to the next generation, he's going off the scenes. He gave his biggest church, Ephesus, to Timothy. And he said to Timothy, first of all, 1 Timothy 2.1, I want prayers and entreaties and petitions and thanksgivings to may be made for kings and all who are in authority that we might live a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity. And so he took that command of Jeremiah 25.7 and he applied it to the local church. So do you see why theologians have said that in the dispersal of Israel and the times of the Gentiles, God was getting a shell ready for a brand new baby to step in, to be the light of God to the coming world. Question, who's the baby? It's you and me. So there was method in the madness of the day. All right. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me hit something with you. 
The times of the Gentiles were begun with one singular nation. It was Babylon, and then Persia, then Greece, then Rome, and then the Roman Empire falls, and now you've got all the nation states. And even that was providential because it's easier to do evangelism in small bites of nation states than it is to have Nero put you on crosses, douse you with pitch, and light his garden parties. I hate that when it happens. And that's what they did to us. There were 10 Roman emperors that killed us. Now you have nation states. So it's easier to go into Finland, Norway, and Austin. Okay. And to share with darkened people. Okay. And so God knew what he was doing. But the first king was Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what leader in the Bible gets more press? What Gentile pagan leader gets more press than any other pagan? More than Caesar, more than Alexander, more than Cyrus, more than anybody, this guy gets press. Who are we talking about? Nebuchadnezzar. He's the first in the times of the Gentiles. And as a matter of fact, do you remember we saw him get converted? That's why I get nervous about going to heaven because Nelson and Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> are right there. I'll see him going out for the paper. Hey, Neb, what's happening? <laughs> Fuzzy slippers. Nebuchadnezzar, do you remember that Nebuchadnezzar walked on his veranda and overlooked the hanging gardens and said, look what I have done by my power and my greatness for my glory. And God said, really? And God struck him, and he ate grass like a cow for seven years, a complete period of time. And uh, his hair grew long like feathers on a bird that had been grounded. And his nails grew long like talons, like an eagle, like a cow, that God brought him down to the earth. And God just let him experience. When you get rid of God and make yourself God, as in Tower of Babel, this is what happens to you. When you get rid of God, you become indecent, then you become immoral, and you pornify the culture, and then you become dangerous, and you can't walk the streets, and then you become insane, where you don't know what bathroom to go to, all right? Are you with me? That's what happens to you. It's been said by one ethnicist, that there are three cultures that exist in the world all the time. One is what is called the first world, and that's where you put as your sacral order nature. It's where you have gods and goddesses and spirits, India, ancient China, uh, the Slavic states, Native Americans, you can go back to pagan culture and they will have gods. And the ethnicist, his name was Charles Taylor, he said those cultures eventually implode because the gods aren't big enough. 
to give answers. They just are semblances. The gods are amplified men and they implode. And then the next culture is what those cultures came out of is uh, Judeo-Christianity, where you have an infinite personal God of the Bible that speaks to the real world and has an incarnation and an atonement and a savior and a rebirth. That's called the second world. And that's the one that has all the answers if they're followed. There's no answer it doesn't have. And then the next world is what happens when the second world gets full of itself and it rejects it and it becomes what are called humans that are sovereign without God. We would call them secular humanists. And now there is nothing above them. There's no myth, there's no superstition, there's no Bible, there's no God, there's no right and there's no wrong. Man now emulates another person who said, I will be like the Most High. Who are we talking about? Satan. And it becomes satanic. And uh, the fellow that I'm quoting said, no culture has ever come back from doing that. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. Look what I have done. Boom. How you like that? And it says that he will eat grass like a cow. And everybody was going to look at him until, quote, he lifts his eyes to heaven and his reason returns and he stands on two feet like a man. And there in, in uh, Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar gives his testimony. He repented back to the sacral order of the true God. So you'll see him in heaven. You can talk about it. Isn't that interesting? And so we begin with this guy. And you know what he said? I want you to look at it. I want you to turn to Daniel 4. I could paraphrase this, but I want you to see it. I want you to circle it. This is what the first king in the times of the Gentiles that has been going on now since the 6th century B.C. through today and into the present day and will continue until Christ returns and the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. When Christ returns and we have a priest on his throne, in verse 17, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says to China and Russia and uh, France and Germany and Italy and America and Canada and Guatemala and Nicaragua. This is what he says. The guy that is, if you remember the Daniel and the, the statue of Gentile dominion of the world, and the, fir the first part of it was the head of gold. What was the head of gold? What nation? Babylon. He's the head of gold. And he says in verse 17, Nebuchadnezzar is, is told, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers. That is a name given to angels that only occurs here. Heaven sees what you're doing. And so the decision is a command of the holy ones. May I ask you, does God have that authority in history to command and take history where he wants it to go in order that the living might know. You know who the living are? It's you. Take notes. As soon as I get invited to Congress, I'm going to preach this. 
that the living may know that the, who is ruler? The most high. It's a Hebrew word, El Elyon. It means nobody greater than him. He's the God who made the heaven and the earth, sea and the dry land. It stands outside of nature and decrees it. He is ruler over Israel? No, the realm of mankind. Put down Austin. Everywhere that man is, he is, uh, what's the song that we sing? Ferris, Lord Jesus, ruler of all nations, son of God and son of man. Over all the realm of mankind, and he bestows it on whom he wishes. I will put in power whom I want there, and I will set it over the lowliest of men. I will take anybody I want for my purposes, and I'll put them in place. And so he wants you to know that. And if you'll turn to chapter 5 of Daniel, after he gets humiliated, and in verse, I'm sorry, the end of chapter 4, in verse 7, after Daniel, uh, Daniel, after Nebuchadnezzar got converted, he says in verse 37, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the God of heaven. That's when a government gets his head screwed on, is when it does this. For all his works are true and his ways just. Would you agree with me that government's always looking for that which is just and that which is true, but you can only find it in God? And in verse 37, and he is able, if you don't want to do this, to humble those who walk in pride. There's an aspect of God, Nebuchadnezzar says, that you don't want to discover. Paul said, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. Since the creation, his invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or glorify him and give thanks. They became futile in their speculations and their reasoning and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools. That's Paul. And so the, the wrath of God, present tense, is revealed against nations that follow the path of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm just glad we're Americans and we're beyond judgment. Okay. And so, go back here, and let me just show you what the lessons are in Mark 12. Lesson number one, we are to render to Caesar. We should be a law-abiding people. Amen? Your name should not be on a police blotter. Tertullian said in the second century AD, search the prisons, they are full of criminals, and none are Christians. Uh, I had a guy that discipled me for a year when I was a baby Christian, but he had a problem. He was a Princeton grad, a DTS grad, but he liked wealth, but he didn't like working. That's a deadly combination. And so I kind of separated from him, and it was a couple of years later in 77 or 78 Teresa and I had a knock at our door, a little duplex, or a little, yeah, we were living in. And I opened it, and there was two IRS agents. They said, do you know this fellow? I said, yeah. 
Can we talk to you? Yeah. She did it. <laughs> then we talked. Turned out he had found a way to make money by you would buy from him a trust and he would sell it to you and you put all your money into the trust and he would take a portion of it. And you didn't have to pay taxes now. You would be paid out of your trust. And that way you could escape income tax. Mm -hmm. Never struggle against God or the IRS. <laughs> they are efficacious. And they came looking for him. You know what? I found out they couldn't find him. You know why? He was in Durban, South Africa. He ran for his life. Uh, I learned early on, you be careful about trying to go by not having a good conscience and how you do. And uh, we had two pilots in our congregation that turned their house into a church. And they declared themselves the pastors. They got them an IRS form. And now when you visited the church, you would sign in at the door that you were a visitor in their church when you came to their home. And now as being a church, what did they not have to pay? Tax. I think they're both on parole now, but they went away to Big Spring Prison and did hard time. Uh, we have had people in our church in jail for DUI have gone to prison for uh, income tax fraud, for Medicare fraud have gone to prison and done hard time. We've had them with sex with minors go to prison. We have had them with child pornography discovered and go to prison. We have uh, uh, had them doing drugs and selling drugs and went to prison. And so rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior but for evil. Like when you're driving and you're going 65 on a 65, what are you doing? You're laughing, you're enjoying, you're listening to Christian music. You're in worship, both hands off the wheel. Because you know, God's going to But all of a sudden, you jack it up to about 80. Now what are you doing? Your head's on a turret looking for those lights because you know that you're guilty. I have no earthly idea what this light. And so, tickets are part of my tithe, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number so, you keep your name off the blotter. You know, with Daniel, they tried to find in him any inconsistency between God and government, and they found no negligence and no corruption. Daniel crossed the T's and dotted the I's and what he was told to do, okay? Paul could be brought to trial and say, check me out. Jesus could say, who convinces me, convicts me of sin? So you need to be clean. All of us do. We need to be clean. Secondly, render to Caesar what is Caesar and unto God what is God's. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is in me 
bless his holy name. He takes every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He puts all things in subjection under his feet. The earthly ruler, one guy said, Caesar gets a denarius. The heavenly ruler gets our soul. And so our souls are to be God's. That was Israel's problem. It wasn't Caesar. It was God. And so our lives are to be sacrifices to our heavenly king. Number three, we honor government as far as we can. Daniel, they said, we're going to give you a pagan religion, a pagan language, a pagan job. We're going to change your name from Daniel to Belshazzar. Uh, we want you to also eat the king's choice food that had been offered to an idol. Daniel said, time out. I'll take your name. I'll take the job. Take your language. Take your education. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. But I'm not going to take the food of an idol. No, because Daniel had made up his mind he would not defile himself with the king's choice food. That needs to be a verse you have your high school kids memorize when they go off to college. You have to make your call now. Daniel made up his mind. I'm not going to do that. And so Daniel said, I'll be the best guy you got, but you're not going to cross God. It stops right there. Well, how about we throw you into the lion's den? Throw away. God can deliver us. But if he doesn't, I'm not going to do this. Same way with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Joseph is the top guy in Egypt. There's no one wise as you because you have the word of God. Until uh, Potiphar's wife says, lie with me, which is what you did in Egypt. And he said, how can I do this great sin against God? No, ma'am. I will not do that. How about if I lie about you and get you on a sex route? You do what you got to do but I will not do that because God knows I didn't. Mordecai, you're a top guy in Persia. Here's Haman. You need to bow down to him. No, I can't do that and I won't do that. This is a man, not a God. I won't do it. Peter, preach no more in this name. Whether it be right in your sight to obey God as opposed to men, you be the judge. But we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Sorry, gentlemen, I'll be the best of citizens but that I cannot do to shut down my voice. I will keep speaking. And so sometimes you have to have what is called civil disobedience. We're not going to kill all the leaders, but we are going to say no. Can that happen in a culture? It never happened in our culture until really my lifetime. Now it's happened. Uh, Gay marriage. What was it? Oberfell versus some another. That gay marriage is recognized as true marriage. So if the government does it, if a guy wants to get married at our church, guy to a guy, girl to girl, do we do it? No. No. We got our rules, they got theirs. We're the kingdom of God. We bind what heaven binds. We're not going to do it. What if they say, this is what they'd like to do? If you don't, you lose your tax exempt status. You know what our taxes would be on this church every year? Seven million dollars. Okay. And uh, that's too bad. But if they say that we're going to do it, we say, no, we're not going to do it. We are the children of the living God. We got our rules that predate yours. And we're not going to do this. Uh, we have teachers in our congregation that are told they got to get from their kids their pronoun. 
as to what they are. And the teachers have said, no, I am not going to make some boy tell me whether he's a boy or a girl. We have had uh, one kid that came into our church, bless his heart, and said, uh, do you all have a unisex bathroom? And we said, nope. What are you? Well, today I'm a girl. What were you yesterday? Well, that's what you are. We're in a church. This is not a school. This is not Harvard. This is a church, and we have our rules. And so we stand. How about uh, vaccines? Did the air just get thinner in here? (laughs) We are not just vaccines, whether you get one, but when the government tells you, you got to get one. I'll ask, I asked the first service, we had a lot of hands. How many of you are in a job that has made a demand on you that you got to get a vaccine? Bunch of you, okay. Military, you're there. So what do you do? Uh, the best guy I know on this is Charles Stolfus. He's the best in bioethics and in church state stuff. And Charles put it in real good terms. He said, about vaccines. Now, the idea of getting a vaccine, that's a personal deal. But what do you do whenever the powers that be said you have to? When you have a conflict of Caesar and Christ. And when the government oversteps and gets into our, how we govern our bodies. It's always interesting to me that the same guys who say, in lieu of abortion, it's my body, you can do what you want. Now, with this, they say, it's not your body's, it's mine. And I will direct how your body goes. You know, it's real easy to become pro-life when it's your life. You ever notice that? The kid's life, we don't care. But what might get me sick, I'm real serious about that. So pro-life is easy when it's your life. And the same guys that say no, here say yes. And it's interesting, but there are laws. You familiar, you familiar with what the law in Texas about abortion in the last week? Comes at the same time, if you've got a business over 100, you've got to get this. It's almost like a biblical illustration. They occurred parallel That life has no meaning. My life does. You got freedom here, but you don't here. Same guys, different rules, because now they are in jeopardy. I've often wondered if behind all of COVID is not the irony of this. You did not treasure life's Now your life is in jeopardy. What do you think now? Oh, I'm for it. I thought you were. Who knows? This may not be lifted till 60 million of us are dead. I don't know. But in vaccines, what Charles does, if you're in a place where push has come to shove, Charles said the first thing you got to ask is about health. There's three reasons for you to say no to a vaccine. One is health. And with health, that subdivides into potential problems and actual problems. 
I don't want to get the vaccine because I've heard that it might have health problems. That's called a potential problem. Some are actual problems. Charles's daughter, Leah, if you remember, had a stroke a few years ago, had a hole in her heart she didn't know of. It caused a blood clot. She had a stroke. One side of her went numb for a while, scared the pajabbers out of all of us. And so he said, now my daughter can't have that because there is the possibility of clots and one might kill her. And so no, that is a valid health problem. A hypothetical health problem is there's a possibility. And Charles said, now, if your government or if your business in trying to protect itself oversteps what you think are its rules and steps into our life and Caesar starts demanding what is God's, He said, for you, you have to ask the question, if it's only hypothetical health, is that a hill you want to die on? Are you willing to give up your career for that shot? Now, you've got to ask yourself that question. And Charles is the most astute guy I know. He's the most resilient guy I know against error. That's what he says. You've got to ask that question. Are you willing to do this? to give it up. I took a shot, and I'm going to tell you why. Because normally I wouldn't have, because I'm like all Texas, best medicine is least medicine. Okay. And so I wouldn't have taken one, because I had COVID. I'm full of antibodies. I can kiss a COVID guy full on the lips, (laughs) and I won't get COVID. Okay. You can give me a COVID shot, and I can't get COVID. But I took one. And the reason I did is because we got a trip going to Israel. And Israel demands that you have a shot. And so I said, and my wife both and I said, I can't tell everybody let's go to Israel and when it comes time, us bail out. Teresa said, I've got to live with myself. And I said, I've got to live with yourself too. (laughs) And I got to live with me. To me, that is you don't leave your own behind. And so we said, we're going to get it. And so we get it. If we die, we say, we'll die. I have no reason to believe we will, but I did. Because to me, that shot was not worth my conscience of staying here when they were gone. And so you got to go into your own closet and ask those questions. The second reason you don't get one is because of conscience. You don't like where that thing may have come from. Charles will say, you better investigate that deeply before you, you that, like me, made a seven on a genetics test, <laughs> before you start making call on the American medical industry, you better research that and make sure what you're deciding on. Because great doctors may divide on this thing. So you better research it. And then he said, if you really have a conscience problem, call Charles and he'll get you, he'll write, he can write up an exemption. Call him after nine o'clock, any Weeknight, and Charles can fix you up right there. Nine four zero, but he can't. He can get you a religious exemption. It can happen, and he's seen a number of guys do it. So he said, "You don't have to have push come to shove, not necessarily." And then the third reason is you're just obstinate. You're Texan, and you—if you belong to the Republic of Texas organization that has uh, field trips in Marfa every year, and you just don't like the government telling you what to do. Well, I'm kind of that way too. So you got to ask, 
is this only because I am obstinate and you don't like the government telling you what to do? I don't either. This hundred person, whatever, have y'all noticed that you get an exemption if you're in the post office or if you're uh, in Congress? <laughs> you don't have to do it. That's nice. And so this recent mandate, it's just been going for a week. My personal feeling is government has overstepped itself. Uh, to legislate what everybody has to do, I'm not sure they got that right. I know they don't, but we'll see. But having said all that, that's what you have to ask the question of. Do I let people come in and do a vaccine conference? No, because I can't afford the split. Because we've got great doctors that say yes, we got great doctors that say no over here. So which do we go with? I'm a phys ed major. I don't have opinions on this. So what do we do? Part of being in the pastorate is to know where to speak and where not to. Titus says we are not to be into controversial questions out of which arise disputes, dissensions, factions, evil suspicions, and angry words. I had a guy come to me one time and said, I'd like to do a deal at your church. I do seminars on this about birth control and the evils of birth control. And I said, heck no, you can't do that. Because in all the time I've been at Den Bible, I've never had a problem concerning birth control. And I'm not about to have you come in, blow up, blow out, and leave everything with me when you have left. And so, no, you do what you want to do. If you want to have 2.3 kids or 14 kids, that's your call. But nobody's going to tell you to do it. Amen? You make the call. How about homeschool? Ooh, you get nasty time. Can we come do a deal about homeschool education? No, you can't. Everybody makes the call. I homeschooled my kids until they were, I wanted to get rid of them, then I put them in public school. <laughs> They're both in law enforcement. That's <laughs> scary. So no, I'm not gonna let you blow in, blow up and blow out and leave me with collateral damage. Everybody makes the call. How about breastfeeding or Similac? Steve, you have any idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, you ain't going to do no seminar here. We had one time a lady in a particular Bible study make the statement, a woman that works outside the home is in sin. My phone lit up. <laughs> Thank you, dear. And well, she had no more say in that Bible study. No, you don't. The woman in the song or the uh, Proverbs has got, Proverbs 31, has got four jobs. Okay, write that down, Steve. Four jobs. So, no, we're not going to. There's things you learn that you don't take a position on because the Bible doesn't. You go with the glory of God. What glorifies God, what your conscience say. And once you make your decision, that's between you and God. Don't bother somebody else. Don't bother them. And that's why our church has never had a split on any of this stuff because we don't let it happen. And politics, we don't speak to politics unless politics crosses morality. And then like Herod, or rather like John the Baptist to Herod, we'll call it out. 
but we don't go that far. And so we have people leave the, leave the church because of our political stance. We have people that leave the church because of our lack of condemning certain things, okay? And so you, you have to learn not to depart the Word of God to the left where you deny what it says and don't depart the Word of God to the right and saying what it doesn't say. You can do them both. You can be a Pharisee that adds to the Bible. You can be a Sadducee that takes away from it. You've got to stay where Jesus tells you to, okay? So do what you want to do. How's that for dogmatism? Father in heaven, thank you for the time that you give us this morning. And thank you for dealing with this issue that we don't have to. We don't have to make up the rules you have spoken. And so I pray that you would preserve us as individuals and for our crazy country that has lifted its face against God to go from the second world to a third world country that no culture returns from. There is no civility to our civilization, no cult to our culture. It is simply the Tower of Babel now. Nebuchadnezzar, pre-conversion, that's where we are. Until we lift our eyes to heaven and our reason returns and we stand on two feet and a human mind is given to us. We'll ask in Christ's name, amen.